Like we have something going here. We're building something special and you know, you can see it from the outside and inside, it's even more beautiful. The point of having a bunch of Ferraris and keep them in the garage, you know, like take them out to the track, so. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome everybody to a special edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by NorthJersey.com and The Record. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and it is Wednesday here in Indianapolis. And boy, Indy is vying with Chicago for the Windy City. The weather has turned in the last 48 hours here. It went from 70 on Monday when we arrived here to overnight tonight. It's probably going to be in the 20s, maybe even in the teens. Right now it's 32, so... Thankfully, Indianapolis is an indoor city, meaning they have an indoor walkway from essentially the main hotels here to the convention center and then to Lucas Oil Stadium where everything is happening uh, with the on-field events, which begin on Thursday. So on tap today, I'm going to take some questions from you, the fans. I've got a bunch. You supplied them on my Twitter account slash X account, art underscore Stapleton, I'll get to those in the final segment of the show, some hot topics today, and then we have interview with Notre Dame defensive end, you know him, Javante Jean-Baptiste. You especially know him if you're from North Jersey and you follow high school football. He's a Bergen Catholic star. He's from Rockland County, following in the footsteps of Rockland County's finest, the McCourty Twins. Jason and Devin, uh, he talked a little bit about that with me. I was at the podium, 8 a.m. sharp here with Javante. Uh, we have a feature posted on NorthJersey.com. Make sure you check it out. It is a great local story. Talk to Nunzio Campanelli, who was the Burton Catholic coach. Obviously, he was also at Don Bosco. He's now at Syracuse. He's the quarterback's coach at Syracuse. Nunzio talked about him. Uh, Javante as it turns out, his father's a Giants fan. So I asked him about a homecoming. There was also a Giants legend that was important in his recruitment from Ohio State to Notre Dame. A year ago, he was determined, he was deciding whether or not he was going to go to the pros and declare in the NFL draft, and he really didn't have the production or the playing time to get an opportunity, or should he transfer? And he ended up transferring to Notre Dame, and an influential figure there was also a Notre Dame legend, Giants legend, Justin Tuck. Talked to Justin Tuck last night uh, via text, and he told me the story about when he talked to Javante and convinced them to go to Notre Dame, and the rest is history. Javante had a very good year for Notre Dame this year, was one of their best defensive players, and now is looking at an early day three selection in the NFL draft. So I think you'll enjoy the interviews with him. And then we'll get to the final segment with your questions, but also we'll hit on some hot topics. The NFLPA released its survey of players about all the teams and the report cards of the teams in league, which was very interesting. The Giants for the second straight year fared very well. We'll get into that a little bit. We'll talk a little free agency Uh, because there are some names that continue to be brought up about here in Indy. Uh, So I want to talk about that. And then 
we will wrap it up and set the stage for what's coming on Thursday. But first up, let's get to the interview, and then I'll add a little bit more about Javante after the interview. First, it's Javante at the podium, and then I was able to catch up with him afterwards for another two and a half minutes or so, one-on-one, away from the podium, uh, and I think you'll enjoy hearing a little bit about Javante. I feel like it's going to help me a little by being able to adapt more faster. You know, sometimes when you go into a new place, you don't know a lot of people, and you kind of like are a little standoff just first because you're trying to survive. But if you just go in there being yourself and being optimistic about everything and really get to learn people and learn their stories, then it really allows you to the bond to get closer. And I feel like when it comes to the NFL, there's a lot of vets and older guys that are going to be in that building. There's some guys that are going to be around my age. But then to those who are vets and I walk in that building, I create a bond with them to see what they're doing, how, how they've been able to maintain and stay their way throughout the league and try to do that for myself too. NFL team watch any game of your team throughout your college career, what game would you pack? It was big. I think we all know what game was You mentioned the Super Bowls growing up as a fan with the Giants. Obviously, their defensive line. I mean, in your mind, were you a defensive guy back then? And is that kind of what you relished? Uh, back then, when I was, when I was younger, I played running back. You can ask about that. Schools, I started growing and I started transferring, uh, trans- transition into more into more defensive role, going from safety to linebacker. And I saw linebacker high and stuff like that. So while the assumption is that you would be Tuck or OC or JPP or Strahan, you would probably more Ahmad Bradshaw and yeah, I was, like, I was thinking like I want to be like Brandon Jacobs, when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> which is actually crazy. You never know. So off the field, you're obviously a pretty popular Twitch streamer. Is that something you're going to continue to do in the NFL? Um, yeah, I think I'll get into. I see a couple guys like Micah and all that. Uh, I feel like I, feel like I want to kind of get into what they're doing. But right now, I feel like I got to establish what I'm doing first before I even get there. Keep the main thing, the main thing. What's something that that teams have you know when you've met with them have, have asked you a lot? Um, I feel like all, all my questions mostly just been about my transition, my house How do you kind of go about explaining that in a way that makes sense? Just talking about um, you know just being stuck uh, at crossroads and what I want to do if I. I felt like I really did my best before for my career uh, to, to, make, to make this interview, this job application that I'm doing right now. And I thought at the time I didn't uh, my best foot forward. And I uh, would coach Jay for, uh, for uh, a little bit, talk with him about it. And then uh, just, uh, first it was just to see uh, who my name was before, and then ended up seeing the connection out there that worked. And, Sometimes people think, oh, something bad happened, or, or he just didn't like it up there. I mean, I was there five years. I loved it there. I graduated there. You check my social media, and they playing. I'm cheering for my boys. Like, it was never no bad blood. Like, I still love Coach Jay, Coach Mitch, Coach Day. Like, talk with them, check out on them. And I just feel like my time at ND, I just had so many connections that, that led from Ohio State to Notre Dame, from Coach Freeman, Al Washington, Seabass, guys like that. And it's my EQ boy. Tim, he was doing my first show for you at Ohio State. Now he had ND too. So it was so many connections that it was like 
this, this transition is kind of like seamless. So if you talk about how does Joe Walls help you? Joe? Man, I feel like uh, Joe's helped me in a, a different amount of way from versus all the tackles that I've seen. I've seen a lot of tackles. So I feel like Joe's probably the most patient tackle that I've seen. And that kind of, he's not a guy that's going to allow you to really give you what you want. You just got to get it from him, and that's a hard thing to do. I talked to Nunzio about your senior year, and he said there was a hit against Bosco that changed everything. Do you yeah. remember it? Yeah, I remember it. Who was it? It was, uh, I think it was in the second quarter for for halftime. Uh, I think Bosco and the Wildcat with Jalen Berger. So it's Irvington lined up across from me. At the time, we used the DN in the tight end, had off from like Georgia, and uh, shot the inside gap and made the tackle for loss. And he ended up uh, getting hurt, and that helped us win the game. You kind of down, downplayed a little bit. He said you kind of blew him up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I did. Thanks, Javante. Thank you. Thanks, Javante. Hey, man. <laughs> I had a uh, Burton Catholic book bag, and it said oh, PBJ on it. Because I had to eat so much just to put on some weight. You find any irony that, you, you know, I thought the moment you said you were sick, you couldn't go to the Shrine Bowl, and then all of a sudden you had to try to put back that 20 pounds. It was almost like uh, going back to high school and yeah. having, to, having to add weight. It's almost part of your journey in two different stops. It is. Uh, I feel like in the profession that you're in, you're going to get sick or something's going to happen. It's a very stressful moment. You're going to... Weight's going to drop and go back up, so you got to find a way to to balance it and make sure that everything goes right. Uh, you know, nutrition can be a hard thing, especially when you're when you do what you would do for a profession and what your life that you have to take it something seriously. It's not at this point eating isn't no more just a, a merely a task to enjoy, but now it's a it has to be a habit that you have to do for yourself. So, who gave you the Justin Tuck comparison? It was your trainer, right, Mick? Coach Mick. Coach Mick, strength coach and conditioning, Mickey Moradi, the GOAT himself. And when he first gave you that, you obviously knew who Justin Tuck was, yeah, right? I knew who Justin Tuck was. So what, what did you think about that when he gave that? I mean, being compared to that, I was excited. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, Tuck played a role in you deciding, right? I mean, I know he wasn't the only voice, but... You know, I talked to him, texted with him last night, and he said exactly how you related at the podium, that it was just he wanted to keep it real with you and talk to you about life after. Yeah. Um, how much did that resonate? Uh, man, it resonated a lot because uh, you can only play football for so long. I mean, being able to come from two great – I feel like being able to come from Ohio State, come from Ohio, uh, Notre Dame, two blue blood programs not a lot of people get the opportunity to do that or even to do to do one so being that i did both i'm just blessed you mentioned your dad's a big giants fan what yeah. was that like growing up man a lot of ups and downs a lot of <laughs> a lot of times yelling at the tv and who was his favorite player who? i don't even know my dad's favorite no player. just was fired up about yeah, the giants just fired up. uh so what's a bigger rivalry bergen bosco or notre dame ohio state Bergen Bosco. <laughs> Come on now. Bergen Bosco, man. That's one of the that's one of the biggest rivalries ever. Bergen Bosco. Tommy DeVito last year in the Giants locker room was asked about Philly Giants and he said the most hostile environment he's ever been in is Bergen Bosco. It is. He's not wrong. <laughs> nah, my most hostile. Well, yeah. Not you got mine, I would imagine your most hostile was <laughs> yeah, going to, uh, was being Ohio State, right? Yeah. 
Thanks, man. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Best of luck. All right. So that was Javante. And, you know, look, I, I do think he's a possibility. I think the Giants are going to be looking to build out the depth of their outside linebacker group. And I think he's the kind of prospect and project you try to take on. He's a guy who has a lot of tread on his tires from, you know, the not necessarily the lack of usage, but being in rotations in college. You know, he's coming from being a four-star recruit out of Burden Catholic. You know, and I think that's kind of the fun story. Uh, and you can read that feature on NorthJersey.com. When he was at Burden Catholic, they didn't call him JJB, which is his initials. They called him PBJ. That's for peanut butter and jelly. Because, as he said it, when he went on his official visit to Ohio State, he was 194 pounds, 6'5", 194 pounds. They knew that he had to bulk up. He had to put weight on that frame. When he enrolled at Ohio State on scholarship, he was 204. So he was 6'5", 204, a string bean, essentially, with a football helmet and shoulder pads. And at Bergen Catholic, they did what they could to force feed him, literally. And the PBJ nickname, Tony DeBellis, who was an assistant coach at Bergen under Nunzio Campanelli that year when they won the state title, he was in charge of feeding Javante. So they had... PB&J, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, that were made every day. And they made him carry it around, and he had to eat those peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And obviously, when he got to Ohio State, adding weight became a little bit easier. You know, Javante talked about at the podium today, and we don't have that sound, but I'll relay that to you, is just the idea that, you know, when you're trying to add weight, as a football player, you have the frame, you have a different metabolism. You know, it becomes very difficult. It becomes challenging. You eat the wrong way and you get sick of eating. You don't want to eat. And that kind of uh, prohibits you and prevents you and, and gets you to a point where you're not able to add the weight properly. Now he's 6'5", 260, maybe 255. We'll see what the official weigh-ins show here. I believe it'll be tomorrow uh, when he's involved with the on-field stuff at Lucas Oil Stadium. He's already met with the Giants. Formal interviews happen all week, and it's a great story. And I think the fun part of it, I also mentioned in the feature that we, we didn't have sound on, is the idea that, look, he – talked a little bit about the Brandon Jacobs thing, which I think is awesome. The fact that he was a running back with Audric Esteme in Spring Valley for the Pop Warner team. Esteme ends up becoming a star for St. Joe's, Montvale. Jean-Baptiste ends up at Bergen Catholic, becomes a star there. Then they ultimately end up as teammates at Notre Dame. I'll have a feature on Audric on Friday because that's when the running backs talk along with the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. It's a heavy day on Friday. Also, I'll be traveling home from Indy on Friday, so it's pretty wild uh, as far as you know, this combine. It's kind of slow out of the gates, and you know people are starting to come in over the weekend as far as agents. You know, you heard – Joe Shane talk about uh, Xavier McKinney's agent. David Mulligetta is coming in on Friday. 
you know, people are starting to come in over the weekend because it's such a different schedule this year with the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the running backs pushed towards the end. So you're going to start hearing some buzz this week. Uh, and obviously, Javante is a very good story. Uh, I hope you enjoy the feature. I'm sure we'll talk more about him heading into the draft, sleepers to watch for the Giants. But seems like a good kid, head on his shoulders, and maybe a lot of untapped potential there. So maybe the Giants take an opportunity in, on day three uh, to bring him in and to see if they can get something out of him uh, in this system that's going to put a lot more emphasis as we talked about yesterday with Shane Bowen calling the shots, there's going to be blitzing, but it's not going to rely on blitzing to get pressure. They're going to rely on the front four to get pressure. So that's going to give Kayvon Thibodeau a green light. And that's going to also demand that they build up their edge packages and what they do up front. Obviously you have Dexter Lawrence up front. You're not worried about him, but they're going to put some resources, I believe into this front. And that brings me to another piece of news that came out. Jets general manager Joe Douglas, in speaking to all Jets business, mentioned that outside linebacker Bryce Huff, who I've mentioned on the show before, we've written about him, he's been mentioned as a potential Giants target. It's going to be at the top of the market. So clearly the Giants are going to have to go out there and pay for him. But Huff had the highest pass rush rate in the league. And he would be a perfect complement to Kayvon Thibodeau. Now you're talking about a defensive front with Huff and Thibodeau and Dexter in the middle, and then maybe you re-sign Sean Robinson, and then you kind of plug, mix, and match of guys, Nacho, uh, and see what you can still get from a DJ Davidson. Um, you know, you look and see, you know, Jordan Riley coming back, you know, maybe in year two, he has more of a role. Uh, and then obviously what they do in the draft and maybe pick up other players, free agency, a lot more economical. So I like Bryce Huff as an opportunity here. I also like Danico Autry, who it seems like a natural fit. He's a little bit older in his early 30s. I believe he's 31 or 32. Uh, he thrived in Shane Bowen's system. And he's a free agent. It would not surprise me to see Danico Autry on the list of Giants uh, free agent targets if they decide that the top of the market with Huff gets blown out of whack a little bit. So no franchise tag for Huff is a good sign if the Giants are looking for him. And I think the they will establish themselves uh, as a player a little bit. They're going to be very creative, I think. I think they're going to be – uh, economical, but I also believe that they're going to be strategic. And like they went after Bobby Okereke last year, I think they're going to trust their process because they liked how their free agency process went last year. It didn't work with Paris Campbell, obviously. Uh, what they were able to do, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, I think they were very pleased with. So I think that process will stay the same. Uh, I've told you, and I asked Joe Shane about this at the end of the season. Their process and wide receiver, I think they overcompensated for the injuries the previous year. They did not want to be left short. They didn't know how Wondell Robinson was going to recover from his ACL. And they brought back Shepard. They had Wondell coming back from injury. They had uh, Paris Campbell here 
on a deal and they paid a good price for him. They had uh, Jameson Crowder, who a lot of people wanted to know, why did Jameson Crowder get caught in the summer? Well, because they loaded up the position. They brought Cole Beasley in. He was another one, did not get opportunities. The reason he ended up asking to get cut from the practice squad after he was on the practice squad IR for the injury was that he could see the writing on the wall. He was not going to get playing time. And the fact that Wandell was healthy kind of eliminated the playing time for a lot of these other guys. So Paris Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Cole Beasley, and then if Crowder had stayed around, all those guys would have been sitting on the sideline or inactive or even on the practice squad the way Beasley was because Wandell uh, was healthy and he was going to get most of the reps in the slot. Uh, and then obviously they wanted to move Hyatt around a little bit. Uh, so that's the way that thing worked. So um, I think they like their process free agency wise. Uh, like Joe Shane said, the extra $30 million, I don't believe it's going to all of a sudden put them in the market for guys that are high price tickets. But I do think they'll recalibrate, which is the word that Joe Shane used, and the idea of saying, okay, how do we want to approach this? You know, does that mean that they could be more flexible with a franchise tag for Saquon? I don't believe they're going to use the franchise tag. I still don't. But they can use it as a tool. Maybe they go to Saquon's representatives, Ed Berry, and say, look, we won't use the franchise tag on you, but let's have a handshake agreement. You hit the market, get a price, come back to us with the price, and then we'll decide if we want to match it for you or you can take, you know, you can feel that you came back to us, gave it to us for that, you know, agreement. Now, I've seen teams do that. There's a trust factor involved. Does Saquon's reps and the Giants, do they respect each other enough? I would think they do, but we'll just have to see how that plays out. Xavier McKinney, does that factor in? Are you willing to go $15 million a year or even $16 million a year? If those are the numbers for him, you've got a 24-year-old homegrown player, and you don't want him to walk. You know, you also have to make a decision whether or not his last five games and what you saw and how well he played is actually what he's going to be for you over the course of the next couple of years. I think Xavier McKinney is a player worth taking an opportunity and taking a gamble on. Uh, but again, I'd understand if they don't want to pay to that top premium at safety, and then you've got to dive into the free agent market, and we'll get into that a little bit next week as far as numbers uh, and who they could look at if McKinney is not back. Um, all right, we got your questions coming up. I want to hit on first the NFLPA uh, report cards, and I'm going to call it up here and check it out because the Giants finished eighth, and they were eighth last year as well. So that's something that's interesting. But where they graded well, I think, is worth mentioning. And it's it's kind of enlightening to one sense, but also it's not surprising. Now, you know, I know because of all the injuries that the Giants have had through the years, Ronnie Barnes has become uh, public enemy number one for a lot of the fan base. And they believe he's only here as a legacy 
trainer and, you know, ah, he's in the ring of honor. And it's just because he was so close to Wellington Mara and, you know, the Mara family loves him. And Ronnie Barnes has the respect of every player he's ever dealt with, with the giants for decades. And yet again, the NFL PA survey has to reveal that for people to actually listen. 96% of the players responding to the survey said they received an adequate amount of one-on-one treatment time. That was first in the NFL. 96% of the players on the Giants. High marks to Ronnie Barnes across the board. And they were also complimentary of the strength staff. So kudos to Craig Fitzgerald, who is not here anymore. Obviously, Aaron Wellman and uh, his staff that's coming in, they will have to continue and find a way to minimize the injury risk. And Ronnie Barnes will need to be a part of that, his staff. But it's all collaborative. But for all the fans who want to slam Ronnie Barnes, your players, past and present, tell you that the man is an asset in this organization. I think you just kind of need to believe it sometimes. You know, these are anonymous sources, uh, an, an anonymous survey, I should say, that if they wanted to slam the medical staff, they could. It's the NFLPA. This was des- designed for free agency to give a guide to players when they're considering which teams to go to. And for this, the Giants got high marks. Um Treatment of families, they got a C for the Giants, which is kind of weird because the Giants always talk about family. Now, the big thing for this is that the Giants are one of 12 teams in the league that do not provide a family room during games. They provide daycare, but they don't provide a family room. That matters to players, especially players with families and kids. Uh, so I think the Giants should probably think into that and try to try to look to, to change that. Um, the locker room was viewed as a negative. They think the locker room is big enough, 90% of the players on the team, but only 75% believe that the individual lockers are big enough. Now, does that matter to you and me? No, but it matters to players. And if a player is going to be focused on that when they're going on free agency visits and they're looking at this, the Giants might want to look into that and say, okay, what can we do? You know, I know famously Dominique Rogers Cromartie, when he was here, they have temporary lockers in the middle of the locker room and they have lockers around the wall. You've seen pictures of the Giants locker room and the temporary lockers are usually for the practice squad guys. Dominique Rogers Cromartie, DRC, had his own locker and then he had one which he called his townhouse in the middle of the locker room that he got to put his extra stuff in. Uh, so, you know, some players try to claim two lockers. Uh, some have N lockers that you can be in uh, that are kind of the prime real estate in this locker room setup. Uh, and we're talking about the game, the, not the game day locker room. We're talking about the locker room at the training facility that the Giants use on a daily basis. There are two different locker rooms. One's used at MetLife, and then obviously one is used out uh, in the facility at Quest. Um, training staff, an A-, A-, uh, travel, B-plus. 
you guys got to see some of the grades. If you look at the NFL PA uh, grade, some teams charge players uh, after, uh, under four years of experience if they don't want a roommate. The Giants don't make players have roommates on the road. Um, and let's get to the probably the most important thing here. Head coach, A- minus for Brian Dable. 100 player, 100% of the players on the Giants feel Brian Dable is efficient with their time. That was number one in the league. And the players feel that Dable is very willing to listen to the locker room. So, no, there weren't any anonymous. Dable is too angry, and he's a lunatic on the sidelines, and he throws tablets, and wow, 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 we're upset with the way he treats us. Now, as I've said, it doesn't mean that Dable doesn't need to evolve as a head coach. I, I think you want to calm down in certain areas, you know, want to show less emotion, more focus, uh, but it obviously is not affecting the players and what they feel about Dable and his connection to the locker room. So all that stuff, all that speculation, again, believe what you want to believe. These are the players who are telling you that they believe in Brian Dable and the way he connects with them. Now, it doesn't make Brian Dable a great head coach. He's had two years. He's had a great year and a disappointing year. Move into year three and eventually year four and see where he goes. Uh, the last thing, it, the biggest negative was mentioned that the, the field surface at MetLife, we all know that. Uh, there's going to be tons of talk about it. Now, this survey may, have still be, may still be talking about the turf that was replaced, not the new turf this year, but we'll figure it out uh, and see um, where that goes as far as how the players truly feel when that happens. Uh, John Mara gets a B plus. He got a rating of an 8.8 out of 10 from every Giants player, considering his willingness to invest in the facilities. So there you have it. That's the NFL PA report card and uh, interesting stuff. Does it matter? Is it going to be a difference maker? You know, if one player that you're targeting in free agency looks at this and buys in because he saw this report card from the NFLPA, which is the union, uh, that's a positive. So take that for what it's worth. All right, now let's roll into your questions, and then we'll wrap up today's uh, show. Appreciate you tuning in. Obviously, got to give a tip of the cap yet again to our producer, Paul Wood. So thanks, Paul, for all your hard work putting everything together. All our videos now on YouTube. It's taken a little extra effort, a lot more extra effort from Paul and our staff back at uh, back at the paper to kind of put this together. So kudos to Paul. All the B-roll you see over the videos, that's from Paul. Give Paul a round of applause. Uh, you know, he, he's an essential part of this show. And as a team together, we're entering year three of All In uh, and continuing trying to make this better and be the best podcast that it can be. So we appreciate you. I hope you appreciate that, uh, that we are continuing to look for ways to make this uh, your source and the place that you go for Giants news, analysis, and everything else, because we know how competitive it can be. So let me call up the questions from you on X and uh, – I'll answer some of those, and then we'll look ahead to tomorrow, and we'll bang it out and uh, and go from there. All right, 
let's see. Find that file. And let's see. First off was El Jefe, my guy, New York Revival. You guys know him. Hopefully you love him. I was on with them last night for almost two hours. They did a live stream on YouTube. Hopefully you guys check out the show. It was a lot of fun. Crossover audiences, they have a great audience. Hopefully their audience comes over to All In. Hopefully some of you guys will check out the New York Revival. Three fans, as I told them, they're not fanboys. They're more than content creators. They do a great job. I had a lot of fun with them here in Indy last night. So check out their show, New York Revival. But El Jefe wants to know, how did I get a spot on their show? And I got a spot on their show because they asked. And I know a lot of you want me to come on other podcasts and do interviews, and I, I appreciate it. And I'm certainly not trying to sound like, you know, ego, pat myself on the back that you all want me to come on shows. Uh, but I do the best I can, and I believe in cross-promotion. So any podcast out there that you want to talk about all in and I can come on uh, and talk on your podcast, I do my best to make myself available because it's all about the coverage, and I, I believe that's what you know helps improve everyone uh, in this whole little community. So thanks, El Jefe. Appreciate it. And uh, the rest of you guys, um, you know, Mr. Glass Half Full and, uh, and Eli, thanks for, uh, for having me on. It was a great time, uh, so we'll roll from that. Uh, all right. Here's a, a faithful follower, very involved, one of the most engaged people that follows me uh, with the Giants, really smart uh, NYG fan in Charlotte. I believe CLT is for Charlotte, but it's CLT underscore NY. What questions are you getting from colleagues and sources not connected to the Giants about the Giants? Well, they want to know about the quarterback. Will Joe Shane uh pull the trigger on that. Will they trade up? Uh, those are kind of the big questions there. Um, talking about Dable, what's the deal with the staffing situation from the last couple months? Uh, big thing is, look, this is the time of year where everyone over-reports something. And by, by over-reporting, I mean over-recruiting. You know when you recruit a guy a year and you, you know he comes in and he's – let's say it's a basketball team and he's going to play point guard – and then the next year, they're recruiting another point guard to come try to take your spot, and they kind of ignore that you're there. On Monday, I reported that the Giants would meet with all of the top quarterback prospects this week. Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, Drake May, J.J. McCarthy, and likely a bunch more this week. They had already met with Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. at the Senior Bowl. They also met with a couple other quarterbacks down at the Senior Bowl. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's reporting, ah, Jaden Daniels is going to meet with the Giants. Yeah, no kidding. We told you. So I'm not trying to pat myself on the back again. But you guys know, the people who follow this show, who read my coverage on NorthJersey.com, who follow me on Twitter and X and wherever, I'm giving you the information. You might not always get it first, but you're getting it straight. And – you heard about all these. When the report comes out today that Caleb Williams is going to meet with the Giants, you need to say, I heard about it on All In. I read it on NorthJersey.com on Monday. On Tuesday morning, I read it again when I had 
a layout of all the quarterbacks that the Giants were going to be involved in this week. So give me a little leeway, give me a little freedom to vent a little bit, but kind of tired of getting ignored. You know, keep keep following us. You guys follow us. The numbers are great. Maybe you should step out a little bit and tell people, hey, I heard about that three days ago on All In. Or I read about it in Art Story on NorthJersey.com. Little little promotion there, right? Uh, and for, also, I'll give you one more for uh, CLT underscore NY. The most surprising thing I heard from Joe Shane, um, it actually didn't happen in the podium, and it didn't happen after the podium with the beat and the group of beat. It actually happened on the Q&A that he did with Madeline Burke and John Schmelk on Giants.com. If you haven't seen it, I would go to YouTube and watch it because it was great to see Joe Shane answering questions. Now, look, it wasn't earth shattering. It didn't break new ground. It didn't, you know, you didn't look at it and go, oh my God, I can't believe he said that about Saquon. But when he was asked by a fan about the free agent market for running backs, Joe Shane talked about it, said similar things as to what he said on the podium and off the podium. But then he mentioned, without any prompting, Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, both of whom he had in Buffalo, both of whom are free agents. So right on the tip of his tongue, was that Joe Shane just slipping? Was that Joe Shane being candid? Was there a purpose to put it out there? Is that something that he's going to use in negotiations with Saquon? And tell them, look, we have guys on the market that we can potentially get half the, get for half the price. And what are we going to do? I'm not sure what the purpose was, but I'm sure that there was a purpose. So that was a surprise for me that he would say that because Joe is normally not going to talk about players that are potentially coming up on the market. Uh, so those are those questions. Dane Metcalf. Art, you're my favorite beat reporter to follow. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dane. Team Dane, no problem. Uh, question, there's a bunch of speculation regarding quarterbacks. Do you see a scenario where the Giants sign someone like Russell Wilson and draft a QB? Reports say Russell could be cut or had for $1.2 million. You know, it was a couple of years ago here at the Combine where Russell Wilson was gaining headlines because he was – playing with the Yankees in spring training and everybody in the Giants wanted to talk, everybody who covers the Giants and follow the Giants wanted to speculate about Russell Wilson. Would he leave Seattle for New York and come to the Giants? And Seattle wants to come back to New York. I know you guys heard that. Uh, I don't think Russell Wilson is an option here. Uh, I don't think you bring in a guy like Russell Wilson if you're going to draft a quarterback in the first round, certainly. And that's why I've talked about the idea that uh, we're going to see what the Giants do in free agency as far as that veteran quarterback that they've said they want to bring in, uh, how that affects uh, what they do in the draft. Um, so we'll have to see it. But I, I don't believe – appreciate the compliment. I don't believe Russell Wilson is an option here. Uh, Giants Vidal, he's got two. How high do you think the Giants are willing to go when it comes to negotiations with Xavier McKinney? The contract structure matters. Uh, but I, I think they could go $14, 15000000 million average annual value uh, for McKinney. He's 24 years old. He's a known commodity. You're not bringing him out from the outside. You know who he is. If Shane Bowen has a plan, you also know his 
position coach who you think very highly of, Jerome Henderson. He's here. He's now the passing game coordinator. A lot of respect between Brian Dable and Jerome Henderson. So they know. They, they want Xavier here. They don't want someone to come in and swoop in and give him $17 million a year. Now, I don't know if that's happening, uh, but I think – I would think 14 to 15 annual is about right. It'll all come down to the guarantees and what Xavier wants. But if they make him feel wanted uh, in certain ways, I I think he'll be back. If not, and he hits the market, then they'll have to do some work uh, and plug some holes to go along with Dane Belton and Jason Pinnock. Uh, And that's kind of what I see in that situation. His second one, Vidal's second one is – do you think the Giants re-sign Sean Robinson? I do think that's a possibility. I don't know how high they go, uh, but I know Shane was very pleased with the signing of Sean, especially the second half of the season when he finally rounded into form. Uh, Sean doesn't talk to the media, so I don't really have a feel for what Sean wants, but I do know that uh, I got the sense that he enjoyed playing with Nacho and Dexter Lawrence and – being coached by Andre Patterson and Brian Cox. So I would think there's a, a chance that Sean Robinson comes back. Uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, all right. And Rocky and New York general manager, I guess. I don't know. Uh, NYGOBB. I don't know if that's uh, Oh, go big blue. Okay. I got it. Assume top three teams asking too much to trade up for three QBs. But if, if, me or Dave's likes J.J. McCarthy or another nearly as much as Daniels or May. It's pick 18, and that QB is still there. Do you trade up? If yes, how much do you give up? Assume at least it's the two twos and a first-round pick in 2025. First off, I don't know necessarily if it's you know two twos to move up to uh, 18 from outside of the first – you know, the outside of the first round, um, you know, look, I, if if they like J.J. McCarthy, I, I think he's in play at six, uh, you know, because if you heard my interview with Dane Brugler, you know, as we talked about yesterday, you can't play games. Now, I know the Giants feel a little burned, at least Giants fans do, that they drafted Daniel Jones at six. They didn't draft Josh Allen, the linebacker, which I thought they were drafting in that spot. Uh, I think Josh Allen thought they were drafting him in that spot. Again, he ends up in Jacksonville now as a free agent. Uh, so, hey, you never know. Maybe Josh Allen is somebody they make a play for. Brian Burns is another guy as an edge rusher. We'll get into the free agency more next week. Uh, but, you know, do they look to make a trade up? I think Joe Shane has shown that he's willing and able. Like he said, and I'm going to keep saying it, he joked on Giants life last year in the draft room. Scared money don't make money. And even though he didn't make a trade back, as he joked, uh, in that spot, I think uh, I think that's kind of his philosophy. I think he's not afraid to move around the board, up, down, uh, and we'll see if that continues this year, whether it's with six, whether it's later in the draft, if there's a guy that he wants. Um, all right. Big Blue Brooklyn, how do they approach corner in free agency? Well, you know, you, you got to look right away. He asked, you know, is it a Wouzier, a Steven Nelson type, or maybe a Sean Murphy bunting uh, because of the Shane Bowen connection? Uh, I'd throw Christian Fulton in there as well. I think it's possible that they draft for a nickel 
Uh, I like Max Melton. He'll be my story tomorrow from Rutgers. Uh, you know, maybe he's an early day three pick that you could plug right in there uh, at the nickel and win that that spot. Talked about it a little bit with Dane yesterday. Um, let's. I, I promise you, I'll dig more on corners next week in free agency and see where we're at. But I know they're digging hard uh, in the draft as well. So we'll see how that uh, how that plays out. Uh, Alex Aux Electricity wants to know about Shane being hesitant to trade up. Do I think there's any hesitation? Uh, you know, I think the thing about the trade, you know, trading up, trading down, and Alex Earp, uh, NY fan, 1987, we'll finish with the two of you together. You know, I think the challenge right now is the trade market. You don't know what the Patriots are going to do. You have to get a sense this week of what teams are going to do. You know, if you feel like those picks are for sale, and then you look at your board and say, you know what, this is the guy we need to have. Then you do what you can to make the deal. The problem is if Chicago sticks at one and Washington sticks at two, which is expected, and then the Patriots are at three, if they're going to pick a quarterback and they stick at three, you're kind of blocked. I mean, there's really nothing you can do. Now, if somehow you have J.J. McCarthy as your fourth and you feel as though someone might jump you at five, well, then maybe you have to look at Arizona and you flip them a two and a pick next year to get up to four to get J.J. McCarthy or someone else. If you feel like you need Malik Neighbors because Marvin Harrison Jr. goes four and you're looking at the Chargers at five and they're not going to take a receiver – but you feel as though someone might jump up and get Malik Neighbors, and you like Neighbors more than Roma Dunzier, then maybe you flip a pick to Jim Harbaugh at five, get into that five spot, call Joe Hortiz, and say, hey, I got to get to five. I need, I need Neighbors on my team uh, and do that. Now, if your grades are very similar with Neighbors and Dunzier, and you're not looking to take J.J. McCarthy, well, then – in that spot, you sit at six. You probably do what they did with Evan Neal and Iki Aquanu, which neither one have made a good impression in the first two years that they've been here. But let's not forget, the Giants picked Kayvon Thibodeau at five. They knew that teams would come up for Kayvon at six, or at least they thought they would, if they had picked the offensive lineman at five. So they waited. They had similar grades on Neal and Aquanu. Neil was their number one. Aquano was number two. And when Carolina went Aquano, the Giants took Evan Neal, and that's the way it went. Now, would they do the same thing here if they say that they have similar grades on neighbors and Adunzier and say, let somebody come up if they're going to come up, let Chargers take one of them, and we'll take the other guy, and we'll be happy? Uh, then that's something for them to determine and how many assets it's going to take to flip a pick. That's why you would move up. That's why last year Joe Shane moved up one spot to get Tay Banks because they thought that teams were going to come up and take that spot and get Banks from them. And Banks was the number one target after the wide receivers. I believe Banks was the number one target regardless. If you listen to our show on draft night, we talked about Tay Banks when we did our show from MetLife that night. Uh, and I mentioned Tay Banks talked about how he was their guy if things broke a certain way. So that's uh, that's where we're at 
with that. So uh, we'll get into that more. We have a show tomorrow. Going to try to get some sound from Max Melton. Also try to get some uh, some reaction from another draft analyst, if I can, uh, to talk more draft and set up for the quarterbacks for Friday, the wide receivers for Friday. You got all the stuff from Dane Brugler yesterday, I think was great. Um, so we will do what we can. I think John Schmelk from Gi- from the Giants is going to jump on with us. He has done an outstanding job. He does every year at the Combine. I know sometimes people look at in-house product and say, well, the Giant, you know, why do you want stuff from the Giants.com? You know, it's not as good as the outside stuff or it's more with a, with a slant towards the Giants. Uh, Schmelk does a great job, gets a lot of great voices, a lot of great analysts on his shows. He's had great guests. So I'm going to have John on and talk about it. He really digs into stuff. So we'll probably get him on tomorrow uh, to kind of talk about Friday and where things have been this week. So that's it for today's show. Again, my thanks to Paul Wood. Thanks to Javante Jean-Baptiste, to everybody who cooperated for that story that's on NorthJersey.com, Nunzio Campanelli, who is now at Syracuse as the quarterback's coach, Justin Tuck for getting back to me on Tuesday night, uh, and obviously everyone else that's involved. uh, Much appreciated here at the Combine. Countdown, two days left of the Combine. I'll be here tomorrow. We're all in. Appreciate you being all in, too. Take care. We'll catch you on Thursday.